standing if you are able, and let's turn to our scripture reading from Genesis chapter 33. We'll read the entire chapter of Genesis 33. God bless his holy word. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children He said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paran Aram. And he camped before the city 
And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, here in this chapter, we have <clears throat> this, this much-anticipated family reunion, this reunion between these two brothers who uh, were at odds. Uh, the tension between them was strong, and uh, as uh, the last uh, few chapters have unfolded, the tension has been building as we approach this point of them finally meeting again. Jacob was not sure how well it would go. He uh, knew it could go very bad. Uh, Last he knew, Esau wanted to kill him. And uh, Jacob was very fearful now, leading up to this meeting, because he'd learned from his servants that Esau was on his way to meet him with 400 men. And that did not sound good at all. It looked like Esau intended to make good on his old plan to murder Jacob. Now, last Sunday, we saw that fascinating meeting that took place before this meeting. And that was that uh, meeting between Jacob and that mysterious figure, that man, who turned out to be God. And we believe this was God the Son appearing as a man, appearing at least in the form of a man some 2,000 years before he actually became a man, before he became the God-man at his incarnation. In any case, this man, as he's called by the text, wrestled with Jacob all through the night. And Jacob persevered in wrestling with him and would not give up until this man touched his hip and crippled him. Well, even then, Jacob didn't give up. But through that encounter, Jacob learned that it is God with whom he has to do. It is God that has to bless him. It's God and not any man that Jacob needed to fear and to seek and to cling to. He's all worried about Esau leading up to this. But here God comes to him and wrestles with him and he shows him, I'm the one that you need to be dealing with. I'm the one that you need to fear. I'm the one that you need to cling to in faith. He needs to be clinging to God for God's blessing upon him. God alone is the one who's able to provide for his people and protect his people. Even the fact that God touched Jacob's hip like that and crippled him and weakened him, you know, severely weakened him, that was something that God did to teach Jacob his need for God, 
his need to depend on God instead of himself. God weakened him, and it served that purpose so that he would learn to trust in God and God's strength and not his own. And think about that. That's very much something we all need to learn. We're so prone to just trust in ourselves, in our plans, in our efforts. And Jacob was like that, too. He's been learning, he's been growing, he's been doing better, but here God comes to him this very night when he needed so much to be reminded of that. God was so gracious to meet him like this and to teach him on that particular night when he was so afraid of what this man might do to him. He was dealing with the fear of man. He thought he might be facing his death at the hand of that man, Esau. And so this wrestling match with God is just what Jacob needed to put his head right, to give him a right God-centered perspective on things and to really revive his faith in the Lord and to focus it on him. Now remember, Jacob is the one who initiated this meeting with Esau. Uh, It's not Esau that uh, initiated this. Jacob did it. He didn't have to uh, try to meet with Esau at this time. Um, He wanted to. He's grown. He's grown in grace. And he couldn't just, in good conscience, go back to the promised land and just try to ignore Esau, just try to bypass Esau. Uh, this brother of his who was so upset with him. He wasn't going to just try to move on with his life without dealing with this problem that he himself had created. He wanted to try to make it right. He wanted to try to reconcile with his brother whom he had wronged so much, so greatly. The Lord put it on his heart to do that. You know, the Lord puts that on the hearts of his people to seek reconciliation wherever possible. We should have that on our hearts where we have estranged relationships. We should want that reconciliation very much. So it's a good thing that we see this desire in Jacob. It's a good example for all of us. Look at verses 1 to 3 here. Here comes Esau. Jacob looks afar off and he sees Esau coming, probably kicking up great clouds of dust with all these men he's got with him. And he arranges his people, his servants and family members in order for this presentation before Esau. And we're told Jacob went on before them and he was bowing himself to the ground. Seven times he did this as he came near to his brother. Isn't that interesting? Jacob bows to Esau seven times. He bows like a servant before a king. And now think about this. This is is actually just the opposite of what Isaac's blessing that he gave to Jacob promised. 
He had said that Esau would be the one that would bow down to Jacob. And in the big picture, that is what, of course, happens. But in this instant, Jacob willingly, voluntarily humbles himself and bows, bows in this beautiful way to his brother. And he's not doing that to grovel. He's doing it to show humility. He's doing it, I think, to show remorse for what he'd done so many years ago and how poorly he treated Esau. He was terrible to his brother. And here, his bowing reminds us of something. It reminds us of something that gets fleshed out more and more as the scriptures unfold and certainly as we come to the New Testament. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. We need to humble ourselves in order for God to exalt us. We ought not to be exalting ourselves. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom will be the servant of all. And we are to consider others above ourselves. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, great in God's sight, humble yourself, make yourself meek and lowly. Become a servant to others. And that certainly was Jesus' example to us. That was the life he lived. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, Jesus is the exalted one who rules over heaven and earth. He made all things. He upholds all things. He rules over all things. And yet he humbled himself like this in the lowest way to the dust. And he did that on the way to his being exalted again to the right hand of the Father. But he embraced that lowliness first. And he modeled that for us. We need to embrace that humility as well. I think we see Jacob doing that here. Humility is one of the hardest things to learn. It's so important for our lives as God's people, though. It's the fruit of the Spirit that He works in all His people. And if you are His, you need to grow in humility. 
And it's certainly not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of growth and grace. Remember also, God was preparing Jacob for greater things. Jacob was the head of the covenant line. He was uh, to be the father of Israel. And yet, how did God prepare him for that role? By humbling him. Humbling him, not just here in this instance where he's bowing to his brother, but humbling him all those years where he had to be separated from his family, where he served Laban, where he was taken advantage of by him, where he suffered for many years in that way, being deceived. God prepared Jacob for greater things through suffering, through humiliation, through humbling. And I think that should encourage all of us. It should encourage you who are humbled with sufferings of different kinds, trials, afflictions, maybe mistreatment by others. Whatever sufferings you might go through, they're not in vain in the Lord. The Lord redeems those things. He's using those things, preparing you for better things. He's preparing you for glory, of course, but no doubt he's also preparing you for greater forms of service to him in the future. You may be very low right now. You may be feeling sorrow, grief, disappointment. Whatever those things may be, these are part of your formation. They're part of your training for service to the Lord in the days ahead, for service to God and to his people. Whoever the Lord exalts, he humbles. So don't grow weary when you're growing and going through those humbling times, going through sufferings, whatever they may be. Embrace that. Accept it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God like we all have to. He has good things in store for you. He has useful service for you just around the corner. Now look at verses 4 through 11 here. Leading up to this meeting, uh, the the dread of Esau uh, is, is heavy in uh, this passage. It's, it's in the air, and uh, it's all over Jacob. It certainly was leading up to this, but when Jacob saw him, uh, he probably still had a, 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 a twinge of fear. He had no idea what was going to happen. Um, would a spear fly through the air and pierce his heart or an arrow? He had no idea what to expect. And he had every reason to expect bad things 
from Esau. But as it turned out, all those fears were unfounded. Because Esau, in an instant, ran to meet Jacob. And it was not to do him harm. He ran to him and he embraced his brother. And he fell on him and started kissing him and hugging him, kissing his neck, and they wept together. What a beautiful scene this must have been. This rough, tough, outdoorsman, mountain man kind of guy, this hunter, Esau, runs to hug his little brother who was so fearful of him. And he just gushes with affection for Jacob. And they hugged and they kissed. That's a beautiful scene. A scene of reconciliation. There's no mention of the past and their past hurts. It's just a picture of beautiful brotherly love and a healed relationship. Isn't that beautiful? Do you have estranged relationships that you just wish could be resolved like this? This is what you long for when you have that kind of a a conflict with someone. Healing of that broken relationship. But make no mistake here, this is not just a matter of Esau. uh, You know, Esau turned out to be a nice guy after all. Uh, I don't think so. This peaceful reconciliation was answer to prayer. The Lord answered Jacob's prayer. Remember, Jacob had prayed, Lord, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. And he needed that deliverance. We shouldn't think that there was never any reason for concern, that there was never any reason for Jacob to worry. I believe there was. We know for a fact that Esau wanted to kill Jacob before. And the Bible here seems to indicate that Esau started out on his journey to come and meet Jacob, uh, perhaps still wanting to kill him. I'm not going to say for sure. We don't know for sure that that was his plan. But think about it. Why else would he bring a small army, 400 men along, He may have really intended to wipe Jacob from the face of the earth. But Jacob prayed, and the Lord answered his prayer. And he changed Esau's heart. And it's it's very, very possible, and I think it's actually very likely, that God used Jacob's display of repentance and humility to soften Esau's heart. Think about that. It's very hard to forgive someone and to reconcile with someone who shows no humility, shows no remorse for their sins against you. That's really hard. You can't really have a reconciled relationship with someone like that. But when there is humility, when there is repentance and an acknowledgement of the wrong that they committed against you, well, that softens your heart. That softens the heart of the person who was hurt or offended. 
And that's how, sh how it should be, of course. And that's how it was in this case. I believe Esau saw that humility in his brother, and he was so glad to forgive him and be reconciled. Of course, ultimately, it's the Lord who has worked this all out. It's the Lord who prompted Jacob to humble himself like that. It's the Lord who worked this change in Esau's heart. And it has to be the Lord who changes hearts and minds, doesn't it? We've all known and still know, probably, people whose hearts are so hard and their minds are unwilling to be changed no matter what, no matter what we say or do. We know people whose hearts are hard toward God, and only God can change that person's heart. And he did that here. He brought that change in Esau's heart. He'd been fighting for Jacob in this way. Remember, God had revealed himself to Jacob as the, the one who fights for him. He's the God who wrestles on Jacob's behalf, the one who strives for him. And he did that here by softening the heart of this murderous man. What a great God. What a wonderful God we have. Remember this. He is a God who hears your prayers, people. Just as he heard the prayers of his servant Jacob. And that hard-hearted Esau could not stand before the Lord. And that's true for us as well. No hard-hearted person in your life is able to stand before the Lord if the Lord goes to work on that person. The Lord fights for us. The Lord will defend you and your cause in ways that might surprise you. So look to him in prayer. It may not always be the way you want. It may not always be in the way that you pray for him to act. But he will work and act in response to our prayers. He fights for us in the way that is best, in the ways that we need him to work on our behalf. You can believe that and depend on it. Depend on him in prayer. And this ought to encourage us. You know, we might not have someone who's actually trying to kill us, but we all have spiritual adversaries. As believers in Christ, we have these enemies, the world and the flesh and the devil. We have to fight against them. We have to fight against temptation and our own sinful hearts. And this is not a battle that we can win on our own. And so God calls us to look to him in prayer. Look to him for help. Cry out to him for deliverance like Jacob did. When we're faced with temptation to sin, cry out to him, Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me. 
You know, more often than not, when we're struggling, when we fall into sin or temptation or we fail in some other way in our walk, it's probably because we don't pray and seek the Lord for His help the way we should. He is a warrior for us. He is the God who fights for us. And we need to believe that. Think of Him that way. Look to Him that way. Trust in Him for that help and support. Jacob did, and the Lord answered him beautifully. He turned Jacob's enemy into a friend. Well, that same God is your God, people. He's the God who fights for you. And he did fight for you supremely in the past. And he won that fight through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus fought to the death for us. He did it all. And we can't claim to to contribute one iota to our salvation. He obeyed all God's holy, righteous requirements of His law that we have failed to obey. And He obeyed His Father perfectly. And He suffered the full penalty for all our failure, all our sin and disobedience. He has fought for us. He has struck our enemies down. Death and hell and sin. He bought us and paid for us. And now he calls us to respond to what he's done for us by clinging to him in faith. Clinging to him and never letting go. Like Jacob clung to God that night. We need to cling to Christ tenaciously, persistently, perseveringly, trusting in Him and His finished work, trusting in His grace also that enables us to live and walk in His ways and persevere in this battle. And people remember to acknowledge the Lord's grace and help to you as well. We see Jacob did that here. He acknowledged God's blessing and God's provision for him. See that in verse 11, he said, God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And no doubt God, uh, Jacob was also thanking God for the work that he had done in Esau in that instant. He gives praise to God. He gives all the glory to God here. And we need to do that as well. Let's do that. Whatever our circumstances are, remember to give thanks and praise to the God who has met your needs and supplied you so richly. Christ has given us all that we need for salvation and for life and godliness. And the Lord daily attends to our needs. 
He's so good to us. So let's bow before him and give him glory and give him thanks every day. Don't let yourself fall asleep at night without acknowledging your faithful God and how good he's been to you, how he's answered your prayers, how he's always with you, and how he fights for you in more ways than you even know or imagine. There's more to think about in this chapter, and Lord willing, we'll pick up here again next week. We'll stop here for now. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this passage in your word. We pray that you'd apply it to our hearts. Enable us to trust in you and in your help, Lord. Uh, Wean us from trusting in ourselves. Um, We pray that you'd use all our circumstances to uh, teach us to depend upon you, draw us closer to you in fellowship and in faith. And we pray that you'd use all the things in our lives to prepare us and fit us for your service. We pray that you'd use us, Lord. Enable us um, to humble ourselves so that we might be exalted by you in due time. We look to you in faith and ask all these things for your glory and for our good. And all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.